The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 135. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Brave hearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position is wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hell, Scottish. I can complain about things. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 10th Doctor, David Tennant's story, Planet of the Ood. And joining me today on the panel are Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going, Dom? Very good. And Jimmy Aiken, how are you? Howdy, Dom. So, folks, before we get started, a couple of pieces of business. As usual, I want to recommend that you write an Apple Podcasts review for us. Uh, App- Apple's changing iTunes about uh, around a bit, and so it's more important than ever that we get good reviews stocked up in the podcast uh, section of their website and their app and uh, help people to discover the show. Uh, so if you could do that, we would greatly appreciate it. We love the reviews you've given already, and we, we look forward to more. And ha- having those come in on a regular basis really helps the show continue to reach new audiences. So we really do appreciate that. And of course, share the podcast with your Doctor Who loving friends. We we really do appreciate when you do that. Uh, and one other thing, you can now listen to Secrets of Doctor Who and all the StarQuest podcasts on Spotify. If you go to your Spotify app and search for either the name of the podcast, like Secrets of Doctor Who, or search for SQPN, uh, that, then that will bring up the podcast, uh, either all of our podcasts or this one specifically. And you can follow and you'll get the individual episodes as they come out. Uh, so it's just another way that you can listen to the show, make it as convenient as possible for you and your friends. So uh, that's uh, that's all of our messages up front. Now let's talk about this episode, a really good one. Planet of the Ood first aired in 2008 in the fourth season of the revival of Doctor Who, featuring uh, David Tennant as the Doctor and Catherine Tate as Donna Noble, his companion. And it's the third episode of this season. And it's to a quick recap, you probably know, but the, the doctor takes Donna to the, her first alien planet, the Ood Sphere. They encounter the Ood and they find something about something about the origin of the Ood. So, uh, so that's sort of the, the, the a quick recap. Uh, so guys, this is the return of the Ood. This is their second appearance. Mm-hmm. Correct. Am I right. right on that? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they previously were in uh, the Satan Pit and the that two-parter. Yeah, the Impossible, the impossible Planet. planet yeah. Impossible yeah. Planet, yeah. yeah. And also, they have a much earlier connection in Doctor Who. They're kind of, even though they clearly, you look at them and they're clearly Cthuloid in appearance, they're clearly influenced by H.P. Lovecraft's Cthulhu mythos, mm-hmm. um, they also are sort of similar to the Sensorites, who appeared in, mm-hmm. in the first Doctor's time. And the Sensorites came from a planet called the Sense Sphere. And they and Sensorites don't have the dangly tentacles from their mouths, mm-hmm. but otherwise they look kind of similar. 
And mm. so uh, that's why the home planet of the Oud is called the Oud Sphere. And according to Russell T. Davies, it's in the same solar system as the Sense Sphere, mm. as if similar looking life forms would naturally evolve on planets <laughs> in the same solar system or something. As you sure. say, Jimmy, science fantasy. This is what we're. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that was very clearly, in fact, there's a line of dialogue in this episode where the doctor really makes that connection to to the sense sphere and, and that. And we, we obviously we've recently talked about that doctor, first doctor story uh, where they where mm-hmm. they meet the sensorites. Uh, you can find that in uh, in our on SQPN dot com. Uh, one of the other notable parts of this episode is the first use of the phrase, the Dr. Donna. Uh, and we, yep. we'll, yeah. we'll talk about that as we get into it. But that becomes. A recurring theme and becomes important to the arc of this season with Donna. Um, so th- well, let's get into the discussion of the episode itself. So the Doctor and Donna they land on the on this planet, um, but we start with but before they get there, we start in the teaser with this uh, commercial, this advertisement that's running in the in the future for this company that breeds and sells the Ood. And there's a very uncomfortable feeling we get watching humans buy and sell humanoid aliens as slaves, mm-hmm. albeit seemingly willing ones. Um, yeah, and there's part of the uncanniness of this is the juxtaposition of the Ood's visually horrific appearance Yes, with mm-hmm. the, the dangly tentacle mouths with their completely servile attitude. And right. this mixture of visual threat with all of the social signals of I'm not threatening at all is part of part of what generates the creepiness of this. And and, and then we find out also they're slaves. And mm-hmm. finally we see an and you know something bad is going to happen as a result of this situation. And so an ood kills a guy with his translator ball. Yes. After his eyes turn red. Yeah. Exactly. Because of course red eyes equals evil. Yeah, of yeah. course. It's it's a Either fact. that or the ood's been drinking last night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need exactly. we need some ood eye drops. Uh but uh, apparently, Ood sales are down, uh, we, we find out, and that the military also buys them for cannon fodder. That's another uh, aspect of the Ood that we find out. So, so if, if the military buys them for cannon fodder, th- presumably they're not necessarily just peaceful. I mean, if you put a gun in their hands and go tell them to shoot at somebody, they do. I mean, that would be mm-hmm. logical. So there's... Yeah. Uh, Maybe after serving the enemy tea. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. And they have that voice, which is so pleasant. It's such mm-hmm. a that's a part of that uncanniness of them. So yeah, that's an interesting aspect. So so then we, that's when we get to the doctor and Donna showing up. Donna's first alien planet, uh, and she gets all excited. He apparently chose this planet at random. Uh, so the doctor mm-hmm. used a uh, a uh, uh, function of the TARDIS we haven't seen since the fourth doctor, the randomizer. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. So he just like, so sort there of was, spins the dial and the, goes. Yeah, there's a, there's a point uh, in the fourth doctor's run where they were running away from a evil being. That I guess could track them through time and space. So the doctor installed a randomizer that oh, the TARDIS okay. would just go wherever. So it almost back to the way it was at the beginning, where the doctor didn't know where the TARDIS was going to go. Interesting. And and so uh, Donna gets all uh, rhapsodic about stepping onto her first alien world and how exciting and wonderful it will be, and steps out and <laughs> it's freezing cold. 
and snowing. <laughs> uh, yeah. I like the doctor, though, likes a proper snow at last, which yep. is a reference to the snow in the previous episode was volcanic ash in the fires of Pompeii. That's and then all right. the Christmas episodes where it's like a ship burning up or something else happening. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's never properly snows on Christmas in Doctor Who. Uh, so when they filmed this, apparently it was one of the hottest days of the year. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to pretend that it's uh, snow that it's cold and snowy, and uh, Catherine Tate has that well, big that- furry coat on. And the the fake snow is actually little bits of paper that they they shred. Yeah. Is that I, what I, it was? I, I, it's yeah. I know it's really obvious that okay, they're somewhere and they've just sprayed the grass with white foam or yes, something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, see, I didn't know if it was like a like a spray on snow or something like that. I didn't realize it was paper. It was it was, <laughs> ba- it was a paper based snow anyway. But yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It, it, but it. I can, I mean, this is this is what they get paid the big bus for to act like you it's know, cold when it's really hot. So. I was gonna say because those those of us who live in you know places where it actually does snow, we kind of yep. look at shows like this and go, yeah, that's not really snow. Yeah, that's that's yeah. fake snow. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently, Donna prefers fancy spaceships. Uh, I mean, they see a big fancy uh, pointy ship fly overhead, and and she says, like a rocket. Yeah, a, yes. Uh, and she says to the doctor, "You've got a box. He's got a Ferrari." Uh, so. I love the, f- the fact that she puts him in his place all the time. Well, that, that's kind of a comparison to Rose where they, they go somewhere and it's, now that's proper Spock, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. But, you know, space that's, tech, future that's tech. Right. <laughs> that's right. I remember that proper Spock. Uh, they We, we have a, this senior executive from this Oud breeding company shows up to investigate the death of, of that other uh, executive at the beginning. Um, and apparently there's been a number of deaths that they now think are that they they didn't realize that they were connected to the Ood, and now they think they're Ood killings because they now have it on on video or whatever the equivalent is, and yeah, and they also seem to be aware of this red eye syndrome that the Ood are exhibiting. It's some kind of disease they think. We also learned when we are. This is the forty second century, and specifically, it's forty one twenty six. Right, mm-hmm. we get told that, and uh, we also see this executive. His I I have it somewhere else. His name is um, Halpin. And he mm-hmm. and he's apparently an heir to the company, like his father founded the company, I think is what it is. So he's yeah. almost more of an owner. Um, but he drinks this hair tonic provided to him by his personal Oud assistant, Sig- uh, Oud Sigma, uh, that he says is a hair tonic because uh, recently he's been losing his hair unexpectedly. <laughs> because so. of all the stress he's under. Yes. And and this is the bit implausible. It's like if mankind is around in in. In the 42nd century, we're totally going to have a cure for baldness. John Luke Picard is just making a fashion statement. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, well this isn't quite that, that far, far ahead. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so the doctor now hears a, uh, uh, as, as has been described, a diegetic song, a song within the show. He starts hearing this singing, this beautiful, another one of these aspects of the oud. It's coming from an oud that is sort of this contrast to the, their creepy appearance is the beautiful singing that they can do. But it's but it's mm-hmm. also apparently only telepathic. Right. So Donna doesn't initially hear it. And mm-hmm. so uh, what they find is the source of this singing is this ood, killer Ood, the Ood that killed the executive, uh, laying in the snow who'd been shot by the security guards. Uh, and so the doctor tries to help it. And it in turn says the circle must be broken. The eyes turn red and it growls and then it dies. It goes red eye. Yeah. And uh, Donna, Donna is shaken by this. And I like the humanity that Donna has been expressing these last couple episodes, this real sense of like this connection she makes to 
the people they encounter. They're not merely she's not merely a tourist in these places. She's making an emotional uh, connection with with the people, even the very alien person in front of her. And she's very, very disturbed by it. And it really speaks to Donna's character integrity. That's one of the things I like about Donna Mm -hmm. in this. She has more empathy than uh, some of the other companions have. Yes. Right. Very much so. Uh, so they go to the this this factory, uh, this breeding factory. It's a concrete plant that they filmed it at, which is you know that tends to be where uh, TV shows film these these sorts of things. And so because they always have these pipes and things and steam everywhere. And so the doctor and Donna they join this group of buyers who have come buyer representatives who've come to check out the latest batch of oud apparently. Um, and we get this whole they introduce themselves to the PR person. He flashes the psychic paper. Um, the, he's the doctor and she's a, a Donna Noble of the Noble Corporation. And, uh, and the, the PR lady, girl says, um, oh, doctor and Mrs. Noble. And we get the whole, we're not married thing again. And what's going to be a, yep, yeah. a frequent, uh, line that we get from them where they, they constantly have to tell people, oh no, we're not together. We're not together. We're not married. Yeah. <laughs> standard trope on the, in this season. Yes. Yep. That will be standard. Uh, we get some sirens, and then the uh, as the marketer gives this uh, spiel about how well they treat the ood, we get intercut scenes of armed guards chasing down a red-eye ood. I, I like that contrast. Oh, yes, mm-hmm. we treat them so well. They're like members of our family, hunting him down like an animal. You know, it's, uh, Yeah, and we even get the ironic line, what is an ood but a, a reflection of us? <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, if your ood is happy, then you'll be happy, too. Well, apparently the Ood are very unhappy <laughs> in their yeah. slavery um, because we they, we then see a very angry Ood attacking the guards. As part of the models, I, I like in one of these scenes, we have the head businessman talking to his Apple Watch. Yes. And this yeah. is this is like before Apple Watches were a thing. So it's still science fiction. Um, but uh, we have a demonstration of the different settings that you can have on your Ood. Um, yeah. you can have a, the standard setting Ood where it's like a proper Butler. You could have a more kind of flirty Ood. Um, yes. if that's your thing. That and creepy. then we have the classic comedy setting, which they demonstrate by, uh, the, the marketer says to the one with the comedy setting, Ood, you drop something. And the Ood says, do <laughs> yeah, you get the Homer, Homer Simpson, Simpson reference. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally Homer Simpson. Uh, and it, you know what's kind of funny is I look at it and I go, that's kind of like they're they're walking, talking echoes in the Amazon mm-hmm. Echo. You know, that's what, what it is, yeah. or, or Google Home or or whatever, uh, or a, a much better HomePod. But <laughs> whatever it is, it's it, we kind of have that because you can now do that with your non-mobile assistants that are not living. Yeah. And even for a while with your like Kindle Fire device, you could yep. set the accent you want it to use and so forth for you. Well, even but, back at the the time this was being done there were a lot of gps's that were start co- starting to come out with the different voices for those mm-hmm. the standalone gps units where you could do that where it would be in, in like yoda's voice was kind of the big one at one point for oh Garmin. yes yes turn left you must <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> or darth vader um there was a great tom tom commercial where they had darth vader recording his lines it was awesome uh oh, yeah i remember that <laughs> but you know but on the other hand so to kind of flip it over i mean it's funny but there's also a dark side to this which is it shows how demeaning they are to the ood and it's sort of mm-hmm. I mean, all of this is sort of there's a subtext here about slavery and, and we can't really avoid that in this 
And it's more it's more than just slavery, though. It's also British upper class, lower class stuff, because mm-hmm. people in upper it's upstairs, downstairs, because yeah. you would have people who were the upstairs people and then you'd have their servants. Mm-hmm. And you see the same kind of dynamic in like Gosford Park, uh, where the you have a, a murder in a in a British, you know, manorial house and the police don't even consider that the murderer might be one of the downstairs people right. because they're mm-hmm. so unimportant. And that's part of the progression in this episode is it takes a while. At first, Donna perceives the Ood merely as servants. She doesn't immediately click to the fact that they're not just servants. They're actually slaves. And so the episode's playing not just with slavery, which is what we see from a an American perspective, but also with uh, the servant class, which was much more prominent in British culture historically than it has been in American culture, where we have a more egalitarian society, less stratification. And to be fair, too, I mean, the, the, the episode was pretty explicit about the, the, the slavery aspects. Donna several oh, times it, talks about that. This is slavery. They're treated as slaves. I mean, and yeah, the but, servant one is more of the undertone as well. Yeah, but that it's the servant one is first, and then she realizes later they're mm-hmm. not just servants; they are actually slaves. Right, right. and that, and that also, yeah. I, I found it interesting. So we have like um, the the head guy and the boffin are both uh, Caucasian, but the marketer mm-hmm. is of Indian descent, right. and the head guard is of African descent, mm-hmm. and so historically uh, in England. Uh, you know, you had people who were of Indian descent would have belonged to a lesser social class and actually go back far enough. People of African descent in England w- would have been used as slaves. And mm-hmm. so it's fascinating to see people from those backgrounds here in the future. They've shed those backgrounds so much. It's no longer a part of their active cultural memory. And they take on the roles of the imperialists dealing with the Ood as servants mm-hmm. and slaves. So the it, it, there's kind of a statement there that I find very compelling about human nature, that if you don't remember these things, you can fall into the same traps as the people who once oppressed you. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's a very good point. Uh, the other thing about this this particular scene, too, is it just shows how they treat these the, the Ood as, as objects. They objectify them. The, mm-hmm. the, you know, having them with the different personalities is somewhat demeaning to their dignity. It, it, it removes right. their dignity mm-hmm. from them and their autonomy. Uh, and well, that, that comparison, the comparison you made to, uh, you know, our, our assistants, whether it's Google or Alexa or whatever, um, you know, it, those, the would could just as well be robots. Mm-hmm. They could well just be, you know, completely computerized robots. It'd be mean, like droids, would, like Star Wars droids. Droids. droids yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of what I was getting at. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. By the way, speaking of Star Wars, did the uh, marketing director look familiar to you, Dom? Oh, where have I seen? She she looks familiar, but they often do uh, the various so, actors and things. The actress's name is Alicia Darker, and she played Queen Jamilia in episode two. Oh, really? Queen okay. Jamilia. Which one was Queen Jamilia? You mean like, oh, she, she's the she's one, the that... one who, who replaced Queen Amidala. Oh, yes. No. Yes. <laughs> Oh, like, yeah, I totally see that now that you mention it. The voice is the same. The costume is totally different. Well, she <laughs> yes. had like the paint but, and yeah. everything. But, yeah. You know. mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have to get new headphones. My head just exploded. But yes, uh, that was <laughs> that's a great connection there. Thank you. for I that. I thought you would like that. I, I, I always like when we find like the Star Wars actor connections. 
in uh, in Doctor Who especially. Uh, so we we find this is when Doctor the Doctor and Donna they look at this map on the on the wall of this big screen and they note uh, the Ood sphere is near the Sense sphere and then they talk about the second great and bountiful human empire in the forty second mm-hmm. century that spans we, three galaxies. Yeah, we also get a reference to the bees disappearing again. Yes, it's a, another hint dropped about uh, the story arc and, and that sort of thing. Um, they refer to so. Now, Halpin is is trying to figure while the marketing tour is going on. Halpin's trying to figure out what's going on with the Ood, and his uh, they refer to Warehouse Fifteen, where something has been for two centuries with no ch- without any change. Uh, that's a put a pin in that. That's an important uh, you know thing that's coming up. Yeah, but they don't and explain. Warehouse it here. Fifteen yeah. is an allusion to Area Fifty One. Right, mm-hmm. right, where things are kept yep. hidden, or what, where later on Warehouse Thirteen. A sci-fi TV series that was a lot of yes, fun. Yep. <laughs> uh, the doctor regretfully notes that the last time he saw the Ood, he was too busy to realize they were slaves, and so busy he had to let them di- die. So now mm-hmm. he owes them. It's an interesting bit of regret that we see in the doctor right here, um, and, it, and an interesting admission that that he mm-hmm. he didn't notice that they were slaves. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I kind of wonder. I'd part of me would like to rewatch those episodes and, and with that in mind and see just how much did he realize then? Because I find it a little implausible given that he knows about the Ood. I, I mean, I don't get the feeling that either of these is the first time he's encountered them. Yeah. I mean, he seems mm-hmm. to just know in this time period, humans use them as servants. Right. And there's also, there's when Donna starts to realize, you know, that they're, that they are, in fact, slaves, the doctor has a very interesting response. He says, it's not so different than your time. And and she kind of objects, and he says, well, who do you think makes your clothes? Right. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, you know, there's a, there is a difference between underpaid garment workers and flat-out slaves. Right. Right. Um, but uh, what is fascinating about that is the kind of professional detachment that the doctor needs to maintain in order to be a world time and culture traveler. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can do what you can when you go into a a new society, but you can't try to rewrite every society you encounter from the ground up to make it in your preferred moral image. I mean, that's really a, that's one of the ugly American stereotypes of, Americans coming over to someone's other country and then getting totally judgy about it and ignoring the hypocrisy in their own culture and so forth. Um, And it's easy. And one of the things I think that is actually at times a fault in this show is when we have the companions coming from their cultural background and instantly being really judgy of someone else's and this is just evil Mm -hmm. and we must rewrite this and stuff. And there's a limit to what you can realistically do, and you can't always be virtue signaling at maximum decibel. You know, mm-hmm. um, that you really, if you were going to travel in time and space, you'd have to get pretty tolerant of things you don't personally approve of that you can't change if you're going to continue to travel uh, in that way. Uh, just just like as an American or as a Brit or as anybody else, you can't travel the world and constantly be dumping on the cultures you're encountering when you don't agree with something. Interesting. Yes. Uh, although 
In this instance, so the doctor and Donna have found Ood cargo where the where they're shipped out, where they're, the Ood are loaded into cargo containers mm-hmm. before being shipped out, and that's where they have this where he kind of calls her, calls out twentieth first century humans for you know his perceived the slavery of garment workers, um, right. and the Donna gets back. She gets as good as she gets mm-hmm. on this. She says, uh, "Yeah, is that why you travel around with the human at your side? It's is it so you can take not show them the wonders of the universe so you can take cheap shots." Uh, it's mm. a, she, she really mm-hmm. she gets her back up and he kind of backs down a little bit in that yep. instance which I like uh, to see um, but yeah she she is kind of disturbed to see these beings these intelligent sentient beings loaded yeah. into a cargo container like like animals and the good the good thing is that in this case there is something they can do about the situation of the Ood and they proceed to do it right mm-hmm. The, yeah, the would say the circle must be broken again, and so they they can so they can sing. And we get an additional bit. So the circle must be broken, so that, so we can sing. Uh, so a little bit more development of this idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the guards find them in the Ood uh, cargo place and lock Donna into a container with a bunch of red eye Ood, while the head guard, uh, who apparently is some kind of weird sadist, hunts the doctor yeah. with a lifting claw that all it- causes all kinds of damage to the warehouse. You think the guy would get fired for that? Yeah, well, he got yeah. fired in a different way, but all I could think yeah. of though when I saw that scene was Toy Story, the claw, <laughs> the claw. Yeah, <laughs> the the guards also are for for a plant where there have been previously two unexplained deaths that were not previously linked to the Ood. The guards are carrying. I mean, they're loaded for bear. They're carrying automatic weapons and stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like. If the Ood are really so subservient that they don't even, according to the episode, they don't even understand the concept of freedom, why do the guards need all these weapons? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Well, apparently there is a there is there is a group of humans who are working to free the Ood. Uh, yeah, perhaps fr- friends by, of the Ood. Yeah, maybe through perception, per, you know, terrorist attacks or something. So maybe that's that's what the security is for. Perhaps. Uh, but in this case, a bunch of Ood, the, the ones that Donna was locked in with, they uh, start attacking the guards, which lets the doctor and Donna escape. So uh, Halpin, because of this mass changing of the Ood to Red Eye, uh, he decides that, OK, we've got to we've got to can the entire batch. We're going to kill them all um, and orders them to be destroyed. Uh, but in the meantime, the doctor follows the sound of the telepathic singing where they find natural unadapted ood who are singing so they don't have the ball uh mm-hmm. that uh that you know that they use the telepathic or the the ball that that has their voice translates their voice and then they used to also zap uh the the uh, human beings uh but in fact they have a what looks like almost like an umbilical cord that comes out and attaches to what the doctor calls a hind brain or a secondary brain for emotions mm-hmm. and memories and that mm-hmm. the the company lobotomizes the ood essentially by replacing that secondary brain with a translator, uh, which is interesting and horrific. Yeah, yeah. And the doctor also points out no species could evolve like this um, because their brains are too, their natural brains are too vulnerable. I mean, right. they carry them around in their hands. Right. Any any conflict among the ood would result in those hindbrains being squashed and causing yep. them severe problems. And he thus deduces that there must be something else that maintains the peace among the Ood because evolution is driven by conflict mm-hmm. and a, an inherently peaceful species like this that 
has their brains in this vulnerable position could not evolve naturally. Something else must be keeping the peace on Ood Sphere. We also have a moment where the doctor gives Donna the ability to hear the song telepathically, which is so emotionally overwhelming to her because it's so sad uh, that Mm -hmm. she asks him to take it away again. And she marvels that he has to hear it all the time. Um, And she then says she wants to go home. Right, Hmm. right. Um, So then as the uh, guards prepare to gas the red-eyed Ood, the natural Ood that the doctor and Donna have encountered start a circle and start singing. And then the Ood among the the buyer reps with the PR person, they go red eye and they start killing uh, people. Um, and this is something that I found. Um, I mean, I guess it's kind of there for plot reasons, but I thought the humans were way too trusting of the non red eye Ood. Mm-hmm. I mean, until the moment an Ood's eyes go red. Yeah, they're like totally trusting of them. They don't think anything about them as if they're going to continue to be reliable servants. And it's like, guys, there's a clearly a viral infection that is spreading among the Ood here. Right. You don't want to assume that all of these Oods that are on your side for the moment are going to stay on your side. Especially Ood Sigma, which doesn't seem right. But uh. yeah. Also, the at one point, the um, uh, the head executive proposes, I mean, recognizing that they've got a a severe problem here. He proposes the foot and mouth solution, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which it means that's a reference to foot and mouth disease, also known as hoof and mouth disease, um, which is a very destructive virus uh, that's very infectious that it affects um, animals with cloven hooves, um, and it's really uh, it's really destructive. If it gets loose in your livestock, if you're farming cattle or sheep or, mm-hmm. or pigs or goats. And so the classic solution to foot and mouth disease is wipe out the entire herd. Right. Because right. that's the only way to keep it from spreading. And so the head executive proposes they use the foot and mouth solution with the ood and just wipe out the current batch and start over. To quote aliens, nuke them from orbit's the only way to be sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so helping um he leaves the doctor and Donna to be found by the Ood and, uh, you know, in the uh, uh, with the, the natural Ood. And at the last minute, the natural Ood telepathically stop the attacking Ood and declare them friends. So the, the doctor and Donna are with are, are, went to the PR office and were there about to be zapped by the uh, by the well, they were, they were taken Ood. to the PR office because right. they were in front of the Ood, the natural born Ood, and they were found. And uh, doctor, I love that line where the doctor goes, jumps into the cage and said, what are you going to do? Lock me up? Well, I'm already there. Ha! And next <laughs> yeah. thing, they're, being, they're being tied to what looked like radiator pipes, basically. Right, right. Yeah. And as the red-eye Ood are attacking, the doctor is like, I forget exactly what the doctor says, but the doctor and Donna are saying different things. Like Donna is saying Donna friend or something like that. Yeah. And the doctor is saying something else. And it turns out both of them together are able to give the natural Ood the data they need to stop, to realize they are friends, and to stop yeah. the uh, red-eye Ood. Right. They're like Dr. Donna friend, uh, that's what they yeah. think. Yep. Yeah. So um, Halpin and this scientist that he's been working with, uh, the head scientist, Riley, I think it is, he goes, they go to Warehouse 15 to kill what we find out is the Ood hive brain. And there's this, so the Ood are a hive species, and instead of having a queen, 
uh, they have a this this giant brain that uh, which, links them telepathically. The, yeah, and which in the past was protected under a glacier. So that's how the high, how the the mega brain was protected. It wasn't yeah. just out in the open. Um, but it's the third thing that maintains the species wide hive mind that enables the Ood to live still completely implausibly with walking around with their brains in their hands. Right, right. And so then this scientist then reveals that, no, that in fact, he is a member of this uh, protest group, this, this terrorist group, Friends of the Ood, and he's been over time gradually lowering this telepathic barrier between the hive brain and the rest of the ood uh, in order to allow them to to get to begin to take control again and and that's that's what the circle is it's a like an electrical fence around mm-hmm. the mega brain made out of uh, different pylons with electricity jumping between them in the form of a circle inhibiting the effect of yeah. the mega brain on the other ood that's why the circle needs to be broken so they can sing they need to bring down the fence that's inhibiting the uh, mega brains uh, role in their society. And then so Halpin, because of this uh, scientist's betrayal, picks him up and throws him over this barrier where the guy lands on top of the brain and is absorbed in presumably these he dies for some reason. Yeah, he gets he, he gets sucked down between the, the uh, hemispheres? two hemispheres yeah. of the brain. And mm-hmm. I Gas is eaten by the corpus callosum. I don't know, <laughs> eaten yes. or suffocated or yeah, something it's weird. Like, that's really dangerous. If he just suffocates to have decaying matter in the middle middle of your brain, I mean, that's going to get over the blood brain barrier. <laughs> yeah, it's well past <laughs> that barrier. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Um, and then we find out. So Don is horrified that uh, that Halpin murdered him, and he's got a gun now on uh, Don and the doctor, and uh, then. Ud Sigma, we we find out that Ud Sigma, the the drink that he's been giving to Halpin, has not been hair tonic or rum. <laughs> it's in fact been some type of uh, genetic material that has been trans gradually transforming Halpin into an Ud, um, which now magically happens all in a moment. Right uh, now that the that's the, they're standing next to the hive brain and. Now, originally, the transformation by Halpin into the Ood was going to be much grosser. This is what they they, they said behind the mm-hmm. scenes. Uh, but they had to dial it back so as not to really freak out the kids watching mm-hmm. at dinner time, at tea time. It's still a lot of body horror. Yeah, this guy becomes an Ood and rips off his human skin, and there's an Ood underneath. Well, that's what I'm wondering. How much grosser could they have made it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then graciously, uh, Ood Sigma says that. Since Halpin's now Ood kind, they will take care of him as an Ood, uh, which is, uh, you know, it shows that they, they're not holding a grudge, apparently, other than transforming him into, <laughs> into that which he had previously enslaved. Um, and, th- and now that the Ood brain is free, the mega brain is free, the Ood can sing, and now their latent low-level telepathy is strong enough that now even humans can hear the song. Yes. Thus prompting a wave of compassion by humans all over the three galaxies for the Ood. And we're told that they're sending the Ood who are out there as servants back home to the Ood sphere. Yeah, that's that also seems a bit implausible given human nature and <laughs> the way things are. But, but perhaps, perhaps a many would come back, but it would be interesting how many. Well, 
I, I mean, you know, there could always be Ood that would choose to stay, but if you if you had servants and could suddenly see and feel the world from their perspective mm, that's, that's and the true. burden that captivity was on them, you might want to say, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with this anymore. Right. And that's perhaps true. laws would be changed and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so Donna says that at, near the end here, she says, um, being with the doctor, she can't tell what's right or wrong anymore. And, and he says... People who know for certain tend to be like helping, who know for certain what's right or wrong. And I think that's mm. somewhere where the, the, the writing goes very astray here. because That's a very, very, yeah. The, the, moral not, certainty not is not evil. Yeah. Uh, no. So Being that, morally certain in an inflexibly rigid way that is not informed by reason yep. is, is a problem. But being... Being open to reason is, is what prevents that from happening. Yeah, this is this is what the the way the doctor phrases it sounds more like a relativism more than you know. Well, your what's right for you may not be right for me, and what's right for me not be may not be right for you, and that's that's okay. Yeah. So this is the line. It says, uh, "Donna says I can't tell what's right and what's wrong anymore." And the doctor says, "It's better that way." People who know for certain tend to be like Mister Halpin. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I mean, that's obviously meant as a critique of a kind of simplistic moral certainty that's not informed by reason, but it does, mm -hmm. it, it is open to, he doesn't say you can't know that there's nothing objectively right or wrong, it's just the certainty right. that right. he uh, has the problem with. Okay. Of course, okay. with the irony of the doctor is usually the most certain of right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, yes. and, and in fact, this episode is a particularly simplistic morality tale. Right. And mm -hmm. a lot of Doctor Who episodes are pretty simplistic morality tales. Right. The, his moral certainty is off the charts uh, very often. Uh, and then when, one of the instances we end with uh, Ood Sigma telling the Doctor that the Doctor's song must end soon. Uh, and and then, then he kind of rolls back, well, every song must end. But, but this is uh, 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 the first indicator of a regeneration not far In the off. Offing. Yeah. yeah which, yeah. which is what happens at the end of the season. Uh, After some specials, yeah, uh, yes, yes, uh, but uh, so that we, we're getting some uh, prefigurement of of a of a of a regeneration that's about to come. So also, also, Ud Sigma says our children will sing of the Doctor Donna. Yes, we have the mm -hmm. the Doctor Donna reference again. So, uh, so that's the episode, uh, Father Corey. Do you have any other additional notes on that? Nope. Okay, uh, Jimmy, anything more you, uh, to say on it? Nope. Okay, well, I mean, it's a lot of people like this episode. They like the Ood. They're interesting yeah. uh, characters, but uh, it's a pretty straightforward episode. Yeah, as exactly. You can tell. Uh, so uh, very interesting. So we want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Heather C., John T., Victor L., Tammy L., and Kevin G. Uh, their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows we do at StarQuest, you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of the Planet of the Ood? And you can let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. You can leave feedback there, or you can send an email to doctorwho at sqpn.com. And we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the fifth Doctor story, The Visitation. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Thank you, Dom. 
And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, Dr. Donna Friend, the circle must be broken. Have a nice day. Right. This is going to be fun.